What up, Oasis? Let's go, let's go. It feels like it has been a hot minute since I've gotten to speak to you, so I'm, I'm super glad to be back. And I'm really, really excited for everything God is going to do in our midst this semester. As I looked back over last semester, there was countless moments that as I was journaling and praying, I, I couldn't believe that we got to be a part of together. And I hope you were here with us last semester. If you're not, I want to welcome you for the first time. This is Oasis. It's pretty amazing what God has been doing in this space, but our heart's desire is that you for, you're able to connect with him here. And so tonight, we're going to be able to do that through a brand new series called Villains in the Bible. And so Villains of the Bible is a series where we will look at people who opposed God's kingdom. What I mean by that is they stood in opposition to what Jesus was doing when he was doing his mission here. And what's really key about this is I need you to know these were real people who made mistakes. The people we're talking about tonight are not fictional characters solely filling the Bible just for plot's sake. No, 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 these are real people who made mistakes. They got it wrong, and because they got it wrong, they became villains. And so in this, our, our series goal is that we would learn from their mistakes. That's the beauty of what God's word is to us. It's, it's something we can learn from. And so each and every week of this series, we will put a different person in front of you, and we will look at their wrongdoing. We'll look at the places where they got it wrong, the misbeliefs that they had. Some of them, we're going to look at just their straight-up evilness. But through that, if we're willing to learn, my prayer is that by God's grace, we would do better. And at the same time, we're going to see throughout this entire series that God is bringing beauty into the most unbelievable of broken situations. That's who our God is. If you don't know that, I, I welcome you to Oasis because we are preaching and talking and worshiping a God that even in the midst of unbelievable brokenness, he's still bringing beauty. And we're going to start all that by looking at a guy named Judas Iscariot. You might be familiar, some of you, with this name. If not, I'm going to catch you up really quick. When I was doing research for this series, really it came down to, you can ask me a lot of questions about the Bible, especially the good characters in the Bible. Like, you got a question about David? Let's go, right? Question about Jesus? Paul? Oh, Paul is my homie, right? Like, talk to me about, you come up to me about Judas, and you're like, hey, I really want to know. And I'm like... Ah, <laughs> I, I was a little rusty on my villains in the Bible, so I spent countless hours reading commentaries and books and articles, and nobody summed up Judas better than Joel Ryan when he said of the many names and figures mentioned in the Bible, no individual bears the mark of treachery and shame more than Judas Iscariot. His name has become synonymous with betrayal. Now, I want to give you some free advice. Is that cool? If we're just on the house, extra content tonight, it really doesn't have too much to do with the message. But if you're one of those people who from your earliest thoughts, you started planning all your kids' baby names, right? You could pull your phone out right now and show your neighbor the first one, two, three, four, 12 names you're going to name your kids, right? There's, there's no spouse. There's no, there's no prospect of a baby, but you know, right? If you're one of those people, I want to tell you, you got crossed Judas off, right? <laughs> Judas is a name that brings terrible vibes. It's synonymous with betrayal. And at the same time, I want to tell you, if your name is Judas in the room, right? Your parents don't need to email me. I am sure you are a delightful human being. <laughs> but Judas Iscariot, the guy we're talking about tonight, he's a villain. And he became a villain by making mistakes. And one of his biggest mistakes is he's famously the guy who betrayed Jesus, that at the height of Jesus's ministry, Judas was the one who switched up and sold him out. Judas was the one who for three years had lived life with Jesus, 
And when I say lived life, I mean they did everything together. That Judas had abandoned his family, his home, his career, his stuff, his status, his future, and he followed Jesus. And for three years, they ate together and they traveled together and they learned together and they visited different places and they even slept in the same places. Every single moment of these three years, they spent it together. And yet in that, Judas betrays Jesus. He sells him out and he does it for his own gain. And as you hear that, I believe it's very easy to, from afar, judge Judas. Right, we see Bible stories where people get it wrong and from afar and from distance and across pages, it feels like, are you serious, Judas? We scoff and even sometimes we, we, we downplay what they did or who they are and we, we, just, we just can't even fathom how Judas could do something like this. But yet I want you to start to think about the moments in your life where life has gotten really, really, really hard. And hardship came and pain leaked in, and sin was running rampant, and things weren't going your way, and your dreams were maybe crumbling, and the people you loved weren't there, and it's in those moments when life gets really, really, really hard. The stories of betrayal we see out there can often feel very real in here. In our own hearts, we experience Betrayal moments. We have felt these moments of betrayal where life has been too hard to handle and we're ready to move on to find something for our own personal pursuit. Today is January 21st. And so we are three weeks into the new year. And I will tell you, there has been a hundred, hundred plus moments, more than I could count where this has been real for me. Moments where I've been tempted to doubt Jesus's control. Moments where I've been tempted to really just like struggle with God's plan. Moments where I've been disappointed where what he's been doing, none of them more evident than the fact that this year, my wife and I are celebrating our five-year wedding anniversary. Come on, give it up for marriage. Yeah, let's go. We love marriage here. Yeah, yeah, thank you for the applause. So we're celebrating our five-year wedding anniversary. And to celebrate that, right, I thought, what better than a romantic getaway to Cabo, Mexico? Yes, let's go, right? If you've ever been to Mexico, you got to get there, right? I've been there twice. And I knew, I knew this was going to be the perfect trip, right? So we planned it all. And I'm telling you, I booked four and a half star, not five, I'm not that bougie, but four and a half star resort on the beach, all-inclusive right? 12 swimming pools, 10 different restaurants, 24-hour room service, massages, saunas. Like, I mean, I'm talking, we were going to ball out. And what you don't know is that I was supposed to take that trip last week. That last Sunday, the 14th, was the day we were supposed to fly out. And I don't know how good this camera is, but my complexion is still a little pale, but our flight got canceled. And so we didn't get to go on our five-year anniversary trip to Mexico. And I don't know about you, but this last week has been cold. <laughs> like cold, 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 where every morning I go out and I have a garage, which Lord, thank you, right? But I go out there and I try to start my car and it's negative a billion degrees. And as I'm shuddering, trying to get the key in the thing, right? I pull up my phone and even though everybody tells me stop doing it, I open up to Cabo on the weather app. And I see 
that for the sixth day in a row, it is 80 degrees and sunny. <laughs> Lord, why? Come on. The disappointment, the heaviness, the hurt, the pain, and you can laugh, but it hurts. It hurts bad. And that's a silly moment. But we've all felt moments like that. Moments where you had dreams and plans and hopes and desires. And somehow those things didn't come to pass. And all of a sudden it felt like disappointment was really real. And it's in those moments, sometimes it feels easier that we could walk away than to stick with Jesus. Sometimes it would feel easier to not show up in a gathering like this, but watch the chiefs play the bills. Right, shout out to anybody watching online. I know you're watching the football game, right? Sometimes it would be easier to not go to the group, to not put ourselves out there, to not open up the word because I have been disappointed and it's hard to wrestle with that disappointment. Sometimes it's really, really easy to get close to betrayal. And when Judas faced those temptations, he cracked. He sold Jesus out. But tonight we have the opportunity to learn from Judas's mistake that by God's grace, we would see where he got it wrong and we would do better. To do that, I'm gonna ask you to start in Mark chapter three. If you have a Bible, go ahead and you can flip there. It's gonna be on the screen behind me, but as you get there, I'd love to just pray. Father, I thank you tonight for the chance to gather around your word, that your word is living and it's active and it wants to speak to us tonight. So I pray by your spirit, you would speak through me to these people, that you would help us to be changed by what we experience in this place. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter three, starting in verse 13, it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and he called to him those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed 12 of them that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. First was Simon to whom he gave the name Peter. Then there was James, son of Zebedee and his brother John. To them, he gave the name Bonegerines, which is sons of thunder. Andrew, and then Philip, and then the Bartholomew, and then Matthew, and then Thomas, and then James, son of Alphaeus, and then Thaddeus, and then Simon the Zealot, and finally, Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. Up to this point in Mark's gospel, we're only three chapters in, but Jesus has already done an incredible amount of work. In his first day of ministry, he healed people and he cast out demons. As he kept going about doing ministry, eventually he will, in, before Mark 3, he will help a paralyzed man to walk again, right? Like a guy who couldn't walk had this encounter with Jesus and then he could walk. And we read this kind of stuff in the scriptures and we just kind of bat our eyes, but Jesus was doing incredible stuff. And because of it, he'd amassed a huge following. Like we think Taylor Swift mania is cool. Like Jesus, when Taylor Swift fills stadiums, Jesus was filling mountainsides. Like Jesus had a crazy following at this moment. So crazy that actually uh, stampedes had occurred at, at, up to this point with people trying to just get close enough to touch him. That it had been account, like recounted in the word. There were times where it was so crowded by the people that the disciples were not even able to eat. Imagine this for a second, they're in the house and there are so many other bodies in the house that they can't get the fork from the chicken and rice to their mouth. That kind of crowded. So crowded that the crowds around them had so many needs 
that they don't have time to grab a quick bite to eat. That's the type of crowds Jesus was building. This was the, the momentum his ministry had. It was all going so well, yet in the midst of that chaos, Jesus did what we just read. He retreats to a mountainside and he begins to read off names. Actually, it's 12 names to be precise. We, we come to know these people as the 12 disciples and their names are Simon Peter, James, John, Andrew and Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, then a different James, Thaddeus, Simon, and finally, Judas Iscariot. And when you hear that, I hope you go, wait, what? <laughs> what? Wait, 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 did, did, did he, Judas Iscariot? Right, like, the villain Judas? Wait, 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 you gotta, you gotta be confused here. It, it can't be Judas Iscariot. I mean, hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people, and, and, and Jesus, th there's no way you, you called Judas, right? Right, the, the, the man who will betray you, you want to invite him into your closest circle to be one of your closest allies? Right, that, there has to be a mistake there. But Jesus doesn't make mistakes. Jesus didn't call Judas by mistake. Yes, Judas is a villain, and yes, Judas will betray him, but Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he called Judas. He knew Judas's brokenness. He knew his sin. He knew his struggle. He knew his future, yet Jesus calls him. And I don't want you to think this is some flippant schoolyard draft pick where it was just like everybody got checked off, and all of a sudden Jesus is like, no way, bro. Fine, Judas, right? It's not how it happened. If you zoom in, actually, Luke 6 gives you a little bit even more context. In verse 12 of Luke 6, it says, One day soon afterward, Jesus went up to a mountain to pray, and he prayed all night to God. And at daybreak, he called together all the disciples, and he chose 12 of them to be apostles. The same 12 we just read about. That Jesus' selection of the 12 was not a rash impulse decision. Instead, he had spent all night praying about this. Jesus knew just how important these 12 men would be, that not only for the next three years would he train them, but when he ascends to heaven, he would leave the ministry on their backs to keep carrying forward. He leverages his entire kingdom on these 12 guys. And so he goes up to the mountainside and he prays and he patiently listens. And through the night, he goes over countless faces name after name after name. And he finishes and he has 12. Each prayerfully and carefully chosen to be one of Jesus' closest allies. And Judas is one of them. But why? <laughs> you read what I read, right? Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, the one who would help Jesus to be crucified. Why would he call that guy? I mean, he could pick anyone, literally anyone, and Jesus picks Judas. Getting doing so, Jesus demonstrates for us how God redeems good from evil. Because do you think God knew what Judas would do? Of course, right? Of course God knew what he would do. God knows everything. 
God knew what Judas would do. And he chose Judas's brokenness. And he took Judas's brokenness and he redeemed it for our good. God is bringing beauty from the brokenness. We need to hear this encouragement tonight. God is bringing beauty out of brokenness because he chooses Judas and Judas will lead to the, to the crucifixion. But yet through the crucifixion, we get the resurrection. And yet through the resurrection, we are now offered new life in Christ. This gospel message we proclaim as Christians that Jesus lived, died, and rose, that we might be forgiven. Judas's brokenness and betrayal, it is embedded in the good news. Right there in the mix of the Christian message, it is not separated from the brokenness and evil of Judas. No, God redeems good from evil. He is bringing beauty from brokenness. Yes, there are villains. Yes, there is evil. You will experience hardship and struggle and pain. This is what this world has for us. Yet God has good plans. He's good and he has good plans. He's bringing beauty from brokenness. And I can't even begin to imagine all of the struggles in the room tonight. But I know there is pain here and I know that pain runs deep. Yet I have to tell you, God's got you. Right where you're at, right now. He's got you. And he will bring beauty from your brokenness. He's done it this past year. He'll do it this new year. It's what he's always about. If you go back to Mark, you will see that Jesus calling Judas is actually just the beginning. From there, Judas is joining the rest of the disciples and they'll travel around being with Jesus for three years. And in those three years, I told you, they spend almost every single waking moment together. They learn together, they travel together. They are as close as close gets. And, and what you need to also understand is the disciples like Judas left everything to follow Jesus. They actually left their families behind to follow this Jesus guy. And in doing so, they, they gave up something, yet they welcomed themselves into the family that Jesus was creating. The 12 of them, including Jesus, so 13 became a family. They were brothers to each other. And I liken this experience the disciples went through as similar to a college experience. In the fact of if you went to college, if you're in college, or I hope you can understand this idea, that college is really unique. And the fact that what happens in four, let's be honest, five, six years, right, is super unique. And you showed up not knowing almost anybody. And after your time, it often feels like you leave with a new family. And psychologists, they actually have a term for this. They call it relational intensity. That I showed up in, in 2016 at SDSU, I moved into Hyde Hall. I was balling as a freshman. And when I was living in Hyde, right, I knew almost nobody. I didn't know anybody in my dorm. I didn't know anybody in my classes. Yet I left a couple of years later with people who were like my brothers. And psychologists, again, they call that relational intensity. And what they mean by intensity is intensity can be more formative. They have found that researchers found that intensity can be more formative to relationship than length of time. 
By intensity, they mean the compact nature of both experiences and emotions. That what people usually experience in a long period of time, and we actually have a visual, if you'll throw that up, no. What people will experience in a long period of time gets compacted, it gets squeezed down into a very narrow space of time, and you can see it deepens relationship. And this is somewhat what college is like. Because in four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever, right? However many years you're here, I hope you're here forever, right? Don't tell your parents I said that, but and however many years you're here, you experience more life than many people do in 20 years elsewhere. Because chances are you moved away from home and you went through all kinds of experiences, some that were really good and some that were really bad. And you had successes and failures and you had relationships fall apart and you had relationships come together and you struggled and you succeeded. And as many experiences are there, there's three times as many emotions and you go through all of that with your friends and your friends become like family. And this concept of relational intensity, it's not only true of a college experience, but it's also even more true of the disciples. They were bonded to each other so deep. They were all they had. And for three years, they experienced more of life than many of us will in our entire lives. Their experiences, their emotions, what they went through in three years heightened and deepened their relationship like you can't even begin to imagine. And through it all, they had each other. They were a family. And Judas betrayed them. Do you feel how evil that is? These are the only people he has in the whole world. And he sells them out. His family. How could he do such a thing? If you were to picture a person right now, the person you're closest with in your entire life, what would it take for you to backstab them? Throw them under the bus turn on them, completely destroy any and all relationship you have. What would it take? For Judas, all it took was enough disappointment. If you wind back the tape, you'll actually see where it all went wrong for Judas because we know Jesus intentionally called Judas and we know that Judas and the disciples along with Jesus bonded very deeply, but there's a piece of information I have yet to, to fill you in on, on their relationship. And it's the fact that the disciples never fully understood Jesus. They lived with him, they learned from him, they even loved him, but they never fully understood him. And most of their under, misunderstanding comes from this common place where all the disciples, they grew up Jewish going to Jewish schools. And in Jewish schools, the rabbis and the teachers, they would teach that the Messiah was a certain way. And I'd like to use this cookie cutter flower, flower to, to exemplify this, right? Metaphorically, they would teach that the Messiah looked, right, like this. It wasn't a, the Messiah wasn't a flower, but it looked like this, right? They would teach that the Messiah would come to reign politically. They taught that the Messiah would come as a messianic warrior to overthrow all of Israel's oppressors. 
They taught that Rome would downfall as Israel rises. They taught that as this king would sit on the throne, he would give Israel prosperity and power and influence like they'd never dreamed of before. They believed this Messiah was coming and they believed he looked like this. All of them did. Yet the problem is, eventually Jesus shows up who is the real true Messiah and he looks more like this. Just a circle. And you start to understand how that could be confusing for the disciples. Because Jesus doesn't fit their mold. What they believed their entire lives, Jesus isn't clicking in with where they're supposed to be. Right? They believed in a leader who was coming to bring about an earthly kingdom. Yet Jesus keeps talking about death and resurrection in a kingdom they can't see. They believed about this guy who was going to come and conquer through war. Yet Jesus is preaching all about peace and loving your enemies. The, the two, they just can't get them to click together. No matter how many times they tried, and you can see this play out throughout the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the story of Jesus, that over and over again, there are these moments where you think maybe the two are gonna click together, but yet again, the disciples leave confused because they can't understand who Jesus is. They can't seem to put together their expectation of the Messiah and who Jesus actually was until finally, there's this story towards the end of Matthew's gospel that's called the triumphal entry. And when, when this story happens, it's the moment in, in the, the, the history where the Passover was happening. And so all the Jewish people had packed Jerusalem full. The streets are chock full with people and they have either from close or afar been following and watching Jesus, seeing what he's doing. Nobody's not heard of this Jesus guy. And they think finally, this is the moment. Jesus is gonna ride in He's gonna be the king that we've always thought he's gonna be. He's gonna go straight to the throne and he's gonna overthrow Rome and we are going to have blessing and prosperity and finally the two are gonna match up. And you know that they so passionately believe this and we're excited for it, not just because they've believed for so long, but we celebrate this church holiday called Palm Sunday. And it celebrates the triumphant entry because as this king rode in, what did they do? They took off their coats and they laid them on the ground and they cut palm branches on the trees and they laid them on the ground and they shouted out, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means please save us. Because these people, they had been waiting their entire lives for this Messiah to show up. And they expected him to be like this. Yet Jesus rides not to the throne, but to the temple. And when he gets to the temple, he starts flipping tables. It's a crazy story. You got to go read it. He, he, he rides in and his first action is he starts flipping tables. And this is super confusing for them because they're the good guys. They have to be thinking, Jesus, Rome's over there. Go get them. They're the bad guys. Yet Jesus is flipping their religious system on its head. And yet again, Jesus is not fitting their mold of the Messiah. And this happens over and over and over again. Do you understand how frustrating that would have been for G Jewish followers of the day? How disappointing 
it was for them. For yet another moment, they showed up and they expected one thing and Jesus didn't fit the mold. They'd waited and prayed and fasted and yet it hadn't happened for them. Jesus didn't fit the mold for them. Their expectations are through the roof. But Jesus has always been the same. Not for a second did Jesus ever cave to their mold. Not for a second was he ever false about who he was and what he came to do. They just couldn't see it. And time after time and time again, they tried to put the pieces together, but eventually they found themselves frustrated. And I would ask you, how many times are you going to try to put these two things together before you give up? How many times will you try to put a, a square peg in a round hole? How many times over and over and over again will you try to do something that feels like it's never going to click before eventually one of these has to go? Either their expectation of the Messiah has to disappear or Jesus really isn't the Messiah. One of them has to go because clearly this isn't working. And Judas picked the latter. He believed that Jesus was not who he said he was. And yet even there, for three years, Jesus never faked who he was. The whole time he was open with Judas, it was right before his eyes that Jesus was coming to meet a deeper need than Judas could even begin to imagine. But Judas wasn't willing to let go of his mold of what it would look like for the Messiah to come. And so he heard the teachings of Jesus and he'd get kind of confused, like that's not right. But then he'd see the miracle and he'd be like, well, and Jesus would amass a following and he's like, okay, this, but then Jesus would leave and retreat and tell, tell everybody don't say anything. And yet again, over and over and over again until eventually Judas is done being disappointed and frustrated with Jesus because he doesn't fit his mold. He's done. And so he betrays Jesus. He turns on the one who would never turn on him. He throws him away and he does it for 30 pieces of silver, which I'm gonna tell you, that's not that much. He became so disappointed with Jesus that he threw him away to profit himself. And I believe some of us can relate to that. Some of us, we have believed something about Jesus or his church. And you have a mold of what you think your experience with Jesus or church is supposed to be. Yet the reality of your experience has not met up with that and you find yourself disappointed tonight. If that's you, I have a challenge for you. Where might you be wrong about Jesus and his church? Because Jesus has been up front the whole time. He's never lied in his word about who he is or who his church is, but Judas was confused. And he was unwilling to listen and unwilling to see it. And I'll ask you, is that you? Because you came believing Jesus was going to take away the hardship and take away the disappointment. And he was going to take away the pain, but you still feel those things. And you believed Jesus was going to bring you happiness and he was going to bring you comfort and you believed he was going to bring you ease, but he hasn't. And turns out life is still hard and you're still walking through some stuff and you find yourself very disappointed in Jesus tonight. 
Or maybe it's with the church. This group of believers that you had expectations of what this was supposed to be like. That church was supposed to be a place without the problems of the world. The church was supposed to be a place with better people. That it was gonna be easy being here and being a part of this community. That there was no conflict or hardship within these walls. You believed these things about church, but your experience hasn't matched that yet. And all of a sudden you are disappointed by the church. We have become a generation that talks more about leaving church or deconstruction than we often do about Jesus. And I don't wanna invalidate your church hurt, but I believe passionately, some of us, we just got wrong beliefs. Jesus has been up front the whole time. Noah, will you put up what Jesus says about who he is? In John 10, Jesus told, he didn't promise you comfort. He promised you fulfillment. Jesus never promised you fleeting happiness. He promised you lasting joy. He didn't promise you success. He promised you purpose. He didn't promise you the future of your dreams, but he did promise you identity as you walked that out. And when we look at the church, Jesus didn't promise you the church would be easy. He said it would be his body. And Jesus didn't promise you that the church would never fight. Instead, he promised that it would be his vessel to reach the world. And finally, Jesus didn't promise you the church would be perfect. He promised you it would be broken people coming together to seek him. This is who Jesus is, and this is who his church is. And I'll ask you again, where you might you be wrong about Jesus or his church? Because you can only find the fulfillment you're looking for when you rightly align your beliefs with God's truth. I wanna finish the way Judas's story finishes because Judas gave up on Jesus because he thought Jesus was a fraud. Yet there's this moment in Matthew 27 where we see in verse three, it says this, when Judas who had betrayed him saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. And while we don't understand fully what Judas was thinking in these moments, we do understand what he was feeling, that there was this deep remorse in his soul at what he had put Jesus through. He had this deep regret, but rather than running back to Jesus, rather than admitting his mistake and asking for forgiveness, Judas runs away to a solitary field by himself and he takes his life. That's how Judas' story ends. And we have to believe that Judas still to his deathbed never fully understood Jesus. Because he thought he was too far gone for Jesus. He thought there was no way Jesus could forgive the person who betrayed him. But there's nobody too far gone for Jesus. There's no life you can live There's no sin you can commit. There is no mistake too big from the open arms of Jesus saying, come to me. And Judas never understood that. 
through his disappointment and his hardship and his regret and his mistakes, he never turned around and came back to Jesus because you can see in the way that Jesus treated Peter when Peter betrayed him, that Jesus's arms were always open wide. Nobody's ever too far gone for Jesus. And so the invitation tonight for each and every one of you, regardless of where you're at, is to come to Jesus. Because I understand that this life brings hardship. Yet God is bringing beauty from the brokenness. And I get that there's disappointment. Yet there is truth of who God calls us to be. And Jesus is calling to each and every one of us to come to him, to walk with him, to be loved by him. And if we do that, there is life found in Jesus. Will you pray with me?